Hey, it's opening day. Wake me up in 150 games. Welcome to the Maximizer Medicare podcast. My name is J.O. I'm the author of Maximizer Medicare, Understanding Medicare, Protecting Your Health, and Minimizing Cost. The 2019th edition is available now in ebook and paperback format everywhere. You can find out where. You can find out a lot more information on the website for the book, www.maximizeyourmedicare.com. Be sure to sign up for the free newsletter. It comes out every Saturday. Tips, hints, other ways, things that you need to keep up to date on as it affects your retirement planning, Medicare, health insurance markets, you name it. There is something for everyone, health insurance, financial contract with obvious financial ramifications. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the Maximizer Medicare podcast. You can find it everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. The information that I'm sharing here with you affects not only yourself, but someone that you know, someone from your community. Healthcare is that issue that crosses every segment of our society. I don't think there's much debate about that. So after all the fireworks over the Mueller report, you know, kind of came to a quick crescendo and then a abrupt halt, you know, among all of that is the political season as the Democrats try to circle the wagons and identify who the challenger to the incumbent president will be. Issue number one, I don't think there's much debate about it, is going to be health care. That's the number one domestic issue. So I've been on the radio on a number of occasions in the past. You know this. For newcomers to the podcast, sometimes I've posted, uh, you know, reprints, if you will, of, you know, somewhat lengthier conversations about Medicare in and outs alongside with information that I've provided on the podcast, you know, for other purposes about Medicare. Generally speaking, I've tried to keep away from the political debate, meaning the ideas and how Medicare or health insurance and public policy kind of interact with each other. There's been a reason for that, which is that, you know, the book is really there and it applies to everyone. It doesn't matter what your political views would be. It doesn't matter what your health situation is. It does not matter whether you're living on social security as your only source of income or whether you have millions of dollars. None of those is pertinent to the rules of Medicare as explained in Maximize Your Medicare. Insert shameless plug to the website MaximizeYourMedicare.com. Don't forget about the free newsletter. Anyway, back on track here. So that said, the fact of the matter is that when most people think about healthcare, they're mixing up health care with health insurance. And then now we're going to have politics on top of all of that, which is going to be a mess. I don't think there's any question about that. So what I thought what I would do here is share, you know, a longer conversation, a half hour conversation that I had in Boston, W-E-E-I. The interviewer is a young person, a millennial, which is great, actually. I did not have a problem with him the fact is, is that we need more persons in the general 
voting population to actually understand the issues at hand so that you can actually understand what you are choosing. As I say in the podcast, you know, I think that the burden of proof is going to be shifting to the Democratic Party because they are the ones trying to unseat the sitting president. I think it's very fair, and you can read in the newsletter and the over the debate over the Affordable Care Act, which is that, you know, the Republican Party did a very poor job of explaining its objections to the Affordable Care Act and presenting viable alternatives. That simply allowed the window for the Democratic Party to paint the majority party as persons who are trying to hurt the poor and hurt the sick. That is obviously untenable from if you want to get elected. And, of course, you then had the results. So not too difficult to predict, right? And I'm just sitting here an observer. I am nonpartisan. I am independent, certainly. There, I don't believe that there's a monopoly on good ideas from any political party. And health care and health insurance are so complicated and intertwined into the fabric of our lives that avoiding the, the debate as it as it pertains to the political process is going to be unavoidable. And so in we go. The next 30 minutes are my comments with WEEI in Boston. They occurred this past week. You know, I'm going to end up having more of these conversations in different locations. They'll be posted here, but the reality is the, the that it's so complicated. And since I presume that the other guy is not dumb, right? Meaning that I literally could play devil's advocate to whatever position the interviewer actually starts with and pose the opposing point of view and kind of get to a stalemate. I think that you're going to be able to hear that here, where in this instance, the interviewer has a very specific point of view about the government's role in healthcare. Welcome to the Taz Show with multi-time pro wrestling champion, celebrated color commentator, award-winning podcaster, and morning show host on CBS Sports Radio. This is Taz, and we like it all in the world of sports entertainment, wrestling, and beyond with special guests and more. Listen anytime on demand at radio.com. This show will always rock you to the core with strong opinions from yours truly. It's body slam and excitement, I promise you. Download and subscribe to the Taz Show on the new radio.com app. And welcome back to another edition of Boston Community Affairs on WEI. We come to you every Saturday morning, and this week uh, felt it was very appropriate to dive into a deeper discussion about health care, given all of the conversation about health care policy and our politics, and especially the Democratic primary, all sorts of candidates throwing around terms like Medicare for all, single payer, public option. What does it all mean? To help us out with that, we bring on J.O. He is a national Medicare expert. You've uh, seen him on CNBC. You've read him on USA Today. Uh, he's also the author of Maximize Your Medicare, Understanding Medicare, Protecting Your Health, and Minimizing Costs. Jay, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Alex. Privilege. Sure. Um, so I guess the first question I would ask you, it's kind of a general question, but as someone who's an expert in this field, what do you make of really, I think, the main policy platform of the Democratic Party or one of the three main policy platforms, which is this Medicare for all idea and different candidates, obviously, have different versions of it. But just what's your take on the general health care conversation in this country, especially on the uh, left side of things? 
Well, it's going to be very interesting, Alex, because now the burden of proof is going to switch has switched sides, meaning that the Republican Party in trying to, you know, repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act did not. I think it's very fair to say, no matter what your political views would have been, not very coherently presenting, you know, a, a, an alternative uh, set. And so mm-hmm. now that burden of proof has now shifted sides of the aisle, if you will. Right. So, nevertheless, uh, I think what you have here is some battle lines have been drawn, meaning within the within the Democratic Party, excuse me, Medicare for all being pure single payer, the elimination of all private health insurance, you know, platforms basically at one fell swoop, and that will of course cause a fair amount of disruption. And you know some objections from the very, very large, smart, capable stakeholders uh, there in the Boston area, of course. Right. Bring Brigham and Women's Hospital and the employees thereof are going. Their lives are going to be fairly disrupted under an entirely different system. Um, Medicare for all would basically eliminate. All health insurance companies, meaning the employer plans, provider plans that many people seem to right. like around mm-hmm. the country, you know, would be eliminated and, and at once. So that would obviously cause a fair amount of you know, upheaval and some, something very, very new that we have not, never experienced in the United States. But we've had a number of politicians say, I support Medicare for all, but I also do not think we should abolish private insurance. Does that make sense? Because you well, hear I some think saying what you that. then is you then start having variations, variations right. on the theme, right? Which is, and it, it has something to do, Alex, and it's quite complicated. And it's things that I try to make clear in Maximize Your Medicare and the free newsletter, which is that. Health insurance is not exactly the same as health care. Health insurance is a financial contract. I'm a financial person, you know, educated in finance. Health care is going to your doctor and saying, okay, we need fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. Those are not necessarily the same. And so what ends up happening here is is that if you're going to try to have Medicare for all, you're all, and then also having, also have maintaining private health insurance. That's a very different spin, which you see Beto O'Rourke right. kind of saying under the under the label of Medicare for America. Right, right, that right. Then becomes kind of the second option within the Democratic Party as it currently stands. Really. Well, yeah, I mean, because you mentioned work health care, but I think in general we're finding out, you know, back in when my parents, for example, were growing up, it was very common that people stayed with the same job for 30, 40, you know, 50 years in some cases. So it made sense to have your employer provide you with health care. But now, given how transient many people are in terms of their jobs and how, you know, millennials, people my age, for example, will go through multiple jobs in their lifetime, there's the argument that maybe it doesn't make nearly as much sense as it used to, to have health care tied in with employment. And it's or very, with, or very with a specific you, job. I mean, your point is excellent because that's exactly right. And you can see the amount of stresses our society is actually having, meaning that we have enormous stresses at companies or where people did work 40 to 50 years, meaning that 
you've got retirees, and a lot of my time is spent on Medicare matters and saying, here's how to analyze, here's how to think through how Medicare actually works and your retiree plan, whether or not it's good or not, whether it fits you, whether it's you know efficient from a personal and financial point of view. These are very, very complicated matters. And so what ends up happening is under either Medicare for All or Medicare for America, if that is in fact a path that America wants to choose, then they'll have to think through an entirely new language and set of ripple effects. One that I'm not very comfortable with the idea that the entire you know, population has a very good handle right. of you know, what that actually will mean. No, it's all very complicated. Um, but I, I guess there's just this notion uh, in the Democratic Party with the prime, and, and, and I'll admit one of them, that health care is a human right, that you are born and you should have a right to health care. Um, you know, but I understand it's more complicated than that. But that's where I just personally fall down, or I think a lot of people fall down on it now as well. And I think that you know that is really the fundamental debate, right? Exactly. In the sense that if you believe that the government is the one who should be supplying this, then right. in fact you can come to some logical conclusion among the variations being presented by the Democratic Party, right? So, if, I, yeah, go ahead. The flip side is, and, you know, Boston, certainly highly educated area, we've got a large number of persons who have spent a fair amount of time and certainly know a huge amount of expense in order to be prepared to be a private contractor who happens to hold a knife and carry a great amount of risk during the hours that they're performing surgery. So now, you know, you, you can see and in, in a rational way, how fundamental, uh, how fundamental and difficult, complicated the debate becomes. What is, um, how would you rate our current health care policy right now, given the watered-down version of the Affordable Care Act that we do have? <laughs> Where do we rate? Well, I would say that the Affordable Care Act has worked uh, in the sense that it has guaranteed access to health insurance to persons with pre-existing conditions. That's my first stopping point. I mean, it did accomplish that. Right. It did lower the amount of uninsured. And that's something that seems to be bipartisan, that everybody agrees that that was a good move. I think that that is something that we can agree upon. Now, that said, the idea of if you like your health insurance, you can keep your health insurance, as was originally stated, that was never true. That was never true from the beginning, meaning that there was, for persons who understood financial contracts the way, and the way that the Affordable Care Act was written, that was not true right from the beginning. So I would, when I tell persons on how to analyze or think through complicated financial matters, I say, look, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. The Affordable Care Act is a tax. Right, because on one hand, it did allow persons with, uh, with pre-existing conditions access to health insurance that they may not have otherwise had. That said, for example, persons at higher income levels paid more for the same product, right. meaning access to the financial. And that's a tax. Right? I mean, there's no other way around sure. it, no matter what labels or jar- snappy jargon. Sure. And... No, <clears throat> and 
no, there's no doubt uh, that's not to say that there wasn't necessarily a good reason for it. Well, I guess it comes down to, right, the question as to whether or not you believe that's a service the government must provide. Like, we pay taxes and our tax dollars fund public education, roads, etc. So it comes back down to that fundamental question. Precisely. Right. And then from there, we're, then from there, can we get into the difference between Medicare for All, Medicare for America, Medicare as it currently works? And yeah. then, then we're going to get into that for sure. How about Medicare as it currently works? I know that's the specific area of healthcare in which you are, are an expert in. Sure. I, I tell persons that uh, the rules are complicated. Uh, that said, if you understand the rules, there's no discrimination whatsoever if you understand the rules, meaning that you can be the most well-off person on the planet you could, but, and you could also live and require Social Security alone as your only income source, you get the same access to the same plans at the same price across the board. And so I describe base Medicare, original Medicare, as a very good cornerstone to someone's house. Mm -hmm. And then depending on the person's resources and what their needs would be, you know, how, how their health situation is. Are they going to, you know, are you in excellent health? Are you in poor health? Some of those are under your control. Some of them are not. Then you can add on to the cornerstone and build the house that you want. That is clear under Medicare if you understand the rules. Mm-hmm. So what ends up happening is people, the overwhelming number of persons don't actually understand how the cornerstone works. So as a result, you build stuff on top of this house in a way that you don't fully understand what the, you know, ramifications, what the ripple effects will be. A tornado hits your house. Well, have I built my house correctly? Or, you know, an earthquake has hit my house. Have I built my house correctly? Should I have spent a little bit more money or not? Or should I have thought through other issues or not? And that then is a second level of understanding and I can tell you, Alex, after speaking you know, pretty much around the country for, with different persons from different backgrounds, education, financial, practical experience, that very, very few people fully actually understand how Medicare works today. So now you can understand how challenging it's going to be to kind of wheel around and transition to another system. I think it's going to be very, very challenging for everyone to correctly understand why is that why why do people not is it because why does such a large majority of people not understand medicare i i i think and this is my own personal opinion is first i kind of referred to that earlier which is they try to equate health insurance with health care right 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 so oh i don't understand my health insurance i don't know how my you know policy works that has been provided by my employer who do i ask i ask my doctor and it's kind of like when I tell persons, well, who, what auto stock should I buy? I ask my mechanic. <laughs> not Probably exactly. not the right choice, yeah. <laughs> right, you've not asked. The, that doesn't mean that you're a physician. And I'm not a hater of physicians. My late father, my beloved late father was a physician. So this is not mean to say that they're not qualified to understand it. So you're, you're pro-physicians on the whole. Let's get that on the record. You're, you're a pro-physician. <laughs> Good. Yeah. And and from there, 
And then, like you said, people have stayed with their plan and their employer for 40 to 50 years. And now Medicare looks and has some of the same language. It doesn't work exactly as it did before. You're 65. So that can be hard. So which plan do you endorse? uh, Or what idea do you have? Because I think we all agree that the system is imperfect. So which variation of these plans do you go? You know, that, that makes sense to me. I, I think that Medicare for all is too disruptive. Okay. Ultimately. Ultimately, I think that Medicare for all is too disruptive. Too many persons like their individ- their plans provided by their employer. Yep. And that then becomes unworkable because I don't think it will. I, my personal opinion is that the other stakeholders in the entire ecosystem, which represents 20% of the U.S. economy, yep, the upheaval there is so large that the it's going to be very hard, difficult to motivate an 18-year-old, of which there are many there in the Boston area, you know, highly educated, work, you know, competed pretty hard to get there, and then are going to have to compete another 15 years, giving up a bunch of things, you know, personally to try to motivate them, say, okay, well, you're going to be a servant of the federal government and under the healthcare system. I think I just think that that's going to be just too hard, uh, practically speaking. But would there be a way, though, to ensure that everybody uh, has healthcare coverage without it totally disrupting our private insurance system? Medicare for America is kind of that hybrid, if you will, of sorts. Now the question then is going to be cost because the way that Medicare for America as currently And who's pushing that plan? I'm sorry. And what are the specifics to that? So Medicare for America would allow persons to automatically enroll in something that looks like Medicare as it currently exists. Mm -hmm. There are going to be substantial changes to existing Medicare under Medicare for America you know, beyond the scope of today, but it would allow and it would allow persons to enroll in Medicare, including an opt-out ability for persons who were over, they found their employer plan, provided plan to be too expensive. They could opt out, yet the existing employer plans would stay intact. Hmm. But you're saying the issue with that is cost overall. Right, because what they've done is they've added services. For example, dental, vision, hearing. They've also added long-term care services. They've added, they've integrated prescription coverage. And then the terms and conditions, meaning they've had one deductible and one out-of-pocket maximum technical terms of financial contracts, and they are very high-quality as they are currently stated. Now the question is, is, okay, do we have the ability to pay for it? And then the burden then is going to be on communicating, okay, here's how much it's going to cost. Here's how we're going to fund it. Now does the country believe that that is, you know, the path to take? That one, of course, you and I are not going to settle that today. No, no, we don't have enough time. That is, you know, is what kind of confronts the choice over the next, which is going to dominate Oh, yeah. For me, it's going to dominate the next 18 months. I don't oh. think there's much question. Oh, I totally think that. I mean, it's dominated our politics since the Affordable Care Act was introduced. 
um, right. you know, over a decade ago at this point. No question. Sure. Yeah. yeah it, no, no doubt about it. Um, so, but I guess, again, it comes down to kind of a moral question where you mentioned the cost uh, would be extreme, but then you could also counter and say, well, we spend more on defense spending in the next five or six nations. So we have money for tanks we don't need and not to provide health care for our people. So it really is interesting that it, 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 I think these are two debates, right? There's the moral argument that obviously gets all the play on cable news show and even debate stages. Right. But then there's the actual policy side of things as well, because I'll admit it, I am not an expert in healthcare policy, not even close, but I look at it more from those kind of sweeping general moral arguments, but then don't really know the details. And I think a lot of a lot of people are like that. Well, I think that people and some of the misunderstanding comes from that. For example, if you're self-employed, in most of America, and you're 63 years old, let's just say you're type A, you run your own business, you're a small business owner, and you want to buy very good, high quality health insurance for yourself. Yep. That's $1,500 a month. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, right. And then immediately when you turn 65 years old, depending on your income level, it goes down to $300 a month. Yeah. Now we're and, talking. It, and the terms and conditions financially improve immeasurably. So now you can understand that most of what we've talked about so far, Medicare for all, Medicare for America, these twists, they're, they're including this word Medicare, which is kind of a marketing right. matter. Because everyone likes Medicare. It's labeling. one of our most popular programs. Right, exactly. Because, because of what I described earlier, meaning that despite what – little hiccups there are, and there, there are going to be, and there are imperfections in any system that covers 60 million people, as that's what Medicare does now. Nevertheless, it works, and the, I think that the existing beneficiaries would tell you that, overwhelmingly so. Right. That, they're, yes, on a case-by-case basis, are there going to be shortcomings? Well, of course, that's going to be in a, in a population of 60 million Medicare beneficiaries. That's what exists today. So nevertheless, that popularity of the overall is kind of why, in order to get adopted on a more wider scale, kind of hijack the term Medicare, even though there are going to be pretty big changes under either of those two alternatives. What have you made, Jay, of the Trump administration's and Republicans' uh, health care efforts the last 18 months to two years in terms of repealing Obamacare? And, you know, obviously McCain, with it, obviously they didn't get it done, but they've still, you know, chipped away at it where you now no longer have to, uh, it's now no longer mandatory to have health care. So, of course, that lessens the pot of money available. So they have chipped away at it, even though they haven't done a full repeal. Uh, just what's your take on what their efforts have been? And what do you think we can expect for the next uh, two years? Well, I think that... I referred to it earlier, which I think that right. irrespective of whether or not where you came out on the moral debate you mentioned, right. that the presentation of good counter arguments was not well coordinated. <laughs> I'm That's shocked. Nicely as I not well coordinated it. arguments out of this White House? Come on, Jay. <laughs> so, and, and as a result, what ended up happening, and you could see some, you know, swaying back and forth, back and forth, this will work or that will work. The reality is, is that because healthcare is so fundamental and so big to everyone's lives, that you couldn't just strip out and just say, okay, well, we need to drive down the cost at any 
you know, irrespective of the consequence, well, the because the obvious one would be to take away the pre-existing conditions clause. But no, that's the popular, even the Republicans like that one, or so they say. Well, the, and what you end up happening is that, is that the, the, the party, you know, the Republican Party was pushed into a spot where right. they could be easily framed right, as right, persons right. who take want to... Take health care away from disabled you know, people. Kill the sick, right. for example. Right. You know, that kind of thing. And, or, and the poor. So that, that was an untenable situation because of the fact that they didn't have a coordinated alternative to how things would actually work. So, so it kind of gives you, it kind of reveals to you what I've thought, which is the Affordable Care Act as originally constructed had a good reason. It had a reason that you could easily understand. That said, it was a tax. Were, were, did the American people correctly understand it as a tax? Not until after they got into it. Now the question, now then the Republican Party, they don't like overall say, okay, well, we want to reduce taxes. Well, now you're going to be giving up something if you do that. And that really, to me, is the other side of what you had mentioned, which is your perspective on the moral and you know, the government's role in the healthcare system. And then the question is, okay, how are we going to fund this? Well, it's that hypocritical, uh, you know, that hypocritical, that hypocritical point that a lot of people have. I mean, there are so many polls on this. I'm sure you've seen them where the majority of Americans like government services. Like they're asked, do you like Medicare? Yes. Do you like this? Yes. Social Security? Yes. But they also don't want to pay higher taxes. And it's like, well, you can't really get one without the other. (laughs) Right. And so you'll see multiple polls and multiple surveys, studies by the think tanks the smartest guys in the room from different political viewpoints kind of calling Medicare for all something in the 30 trillion right as a price tag and you'll have four to five but and if I had to pick a single number that's kind of the price tag, and that's obviously a high price tag right Um, so what do you think we are going forward Jay I know you're not a, a prognosticator but you're an expert in the field here so let's put the spotlight on you what do you think we go forward with this health care debate over the next 18 months, two years, and what do you think it looks like down the line? I think that it's going to be obviously very contentious because, the, as I said it, right from the beginning here today, Alex, which is that this is going to come down to which of these, op, which member of the opposition party is able to accurately convince the Democratic Convention, that this is the platform that everyone can get around. Because right now, as it currently stands, if it remains this fragmented, what you could have is divide and conquer, meaning that the incumbent can easily just watch everyone else scatter and argue amongst themselves and not then kind of congregate correctly to win back the White House. That is certainly... What, because I've like like I was saying, the burden of proof has now shifted. Now the you know the person's looking disorganized does look like the Democratic Party, and they're going to have to circle the wagons in order to get everyone behind that. From there, then we're going to have questions about okay, how much upheaval to the existing members because the existing members of Medicare, sixty million, that vote. And they're the ones with the majority of savings in this country. And 
how they come out here when they look through the details, do they want to have these changes, this fundamental? And the winners and losers here are going to be fragmented, and it's going to go, it's going to cross party line, which is the really difficult part here, which is you're going to have persons who, who would normally vote for party A, but their financial ramifications would be so you know, running against that they would want to vote for party B. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And, we, right. and that's why it's called it party A and party B, because you can just switch the, switch the names and you would have this situation. That's right. what makes it difficult. And then we're going to have to have some way to rationalize how to pay, pay the hospitals who are paid under Medicare now at an increasing rate at levels that some find unsustainable. Because I think we can all agree that, you know, the doctors and hospitals here are the common point, whether you are well off or poor, whether or not you are, you know, sick or healthy, everyone needs these doctors and hospitals in every community. And we need to keep them alive and keep their lights on so that they'll want to deliver their services, you know, for patients. It's all those tricky details. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Jay O is a national uh, Medicare expert, uh, author of Maximize Your Medicare, Understanding Medicare, Protecting Health, and Minimizing Costs. Jay, before you go, so what's the big takeaway you want listeners to get from this and also uh, what they can find in your book as well? So the website for the book sure. is MaximizeYourMedicare.com. My overriding message from the book and today always has been that Medicare, as it currently stands, does work for persons in your listening audience who are considering retirement or who are retired, that you know, the public debate just tells us that things are going to be changing, but, that does, but you need to know how it works today, right. how it works accurately today, and so that you can understand whether or not I'm going to vote for this person in the future because, because of this or that, or because I need to have the best for my dollar today because I'm considering retirement tomorrow. I'm going to turn 65 or I'm, or I'm 70 years old and my retiree plan, I just got a rate increase or it's just been stripped away. And that is happening nationwide. Jay, J-O, national Medicare expert. You can uh, see him on CNBC, read him USA Today, other media platforms. Jay, thanks for coming on. I enjoyed the conversation. I did too, Alex. Thank you very much. Sure. Anytime. That again is uh, J.O. joining us on the show, Boston Community Affairs, WEI. Um, you know, I think hearts and minds may have been changed in that segment because uh, those of you who listen to me during the week certainly know uh, that I am a proponent of some sort of Medicare for all. I think health care is a right. I think the government should provide health care for its citizens, just like we uh, the government provides roads and provides other services. Uh, I think health care is right up there. It's a human right. Um, but when you go as far as eliminating private insurance, well, Jay made me think about the economic ramifications of that that I had not considered. I mean, right here in our backyard in Boston, we have all these hospitals, all these healthcare companies, and he mentioned the, 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 all the people that, that work in that field, and it would be very disruptive to them. Um, so, you know, eliminating private insurance, it's just there's so many talking points, and you get down to the details, it obviously gets more complicated, but I just keep going back to the moral argument where I say, you know, even if that cost is $30 trillion for some sort of Medicare for All or Medicare for America, which is number J throughout, I still say we spend more on defense than the next five or six countries combined. So why, 
why do we always have money for more tanks and planes to drop bombs, but we don't have enough money to provide health care for people? That That's the question I keep coming down to, and, and now I belong in a hippie van smoking and smoking something, and that's... That's how I belonged in the 60s, in the 60s, really. A child of the 60s, I guess. But a J.O. again, he's a national Medicare expert. Thank him for taking the time. Coming on the show, Boston Community Affairs. As always, if you have any topic ideas you would like for me to explore, send me an email, alexr at weei.com. Very simple, alexr at weei.com. We're coming out with a couple of these per month. Um, and again, I thought that Jay was a, uh, a great guest to speak to this week because the healthcare debate has, has dominated our politics, as, as we said in our conversation, ever since the Affordable Care Act was introduced over a decade ago now, and Ob- early on in Obama's first term. And, uh, and, you know, and it continues to dominate the conversation today, especially on the Democratic side of things. So thank you for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you uh, again very soon. Thanks again, Boston Community Affairs.